0: Hello and welcome. Well, it's not every day that you get to speak with Miss Universe Australia, but lucky for us, today is that day. So what's the link between Miss Universe and a parenting podcast? I hear you say, well, I'm glad you asked. Well, today we welcome Miss Universe Australia 2020 Maria Thetil who will be Australia's national entrant in the Miss Universe pageant which is aiming to take place in some form or another in April. Now Maria is a writer and a speaker and the creator of Mind With Me, an empowerment series on Instagram which inspires women, men and young people to be confident and to live their best lives. Now, she is an incredible woman and an advocate for inclusion, committed to using her voice and a platform to drive the pursuit of progress. Now, as an Australian of Indian heritage, Maria will be sharing her life experiences and thoughts, how to teach your kids to be respectful of others when it comes to race. Thank you for joining us, Maria. How are you?
1: What a generous intro. (laughs) I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled listening to that and I'm very, very grateful to be here very grateful.
0: And likewise, and look, I understand that you are uh, passionately committed to spreading awareness um, regarding ethnic diversity and anti-racism messages, which as we know has been incredibly important topic over the last 12 months in particular. Um, I also understand you have unfortunately been the victim of racism Throughout your life, and even during your in in recent times, um, recently during the uh, Miss Universe Australia pageant, but much of the racism that you experience occurred that when you were a child, um, from other children and teens. Now, there's there's the really um, there's, there's so much for us to just like discuss on this topic. But initially, I just love to to know like, would you be comfortable just to share some of your childhood experiences with us to to provide some context. As to just, yeah, your life experiences.
1: Absolutely, Rachel. And I think it's really important to start by saying when we talk about racism, I want to open this conversation just so people understand it. You know, let's have this conversation in a safe way um, and and break that down a little bit. Racism isn't necessarily overtly hateful words or actions or, or behaviors against, you know, one person or a group of people. And I think that's where. Often when we talk about racism, the walls can go up and it can be an uncomfortable conversation because, you know, there's a misunderstanding on what it is. But racism, when you're talking about racism, it's systemic. And we're talking about systems that have been built to oppress certain people and offer privileges and benefits to others. So when I talk about my experiences with racism At times, racial microaggressions, I experienced them when the people who were perpetuating it didn't even know they were saying anything racist or they didn't even mean any ill will. So it's important to just clarify that because the experience of racism for people who are on the receiving end, irrespective of what the intention is or the perceptions, you know, that the person had when they said what they said or did what they did, it still lands a certain way and can hurt. So when I was growing up, I think the context in Australia at the time was a little bit different and we were not having conversations about diversity and race and celebrating and understanding cultural differences. And when you mentioned um, at the start, you know, these conversations of race, they've been so important over the last 12 months, they have, but they've been happening for decades we're just it just so happens that last year with the black lives matter movement gaining momentum as it rightfully should um these conversations have all of a sudden been listened to but people have been talking about their experiences for you know, since the beginning of time. And it's just now that we're ready to hear it. So when I was growing up, people were not ready to hear it and people didn't understand it. There was a lack of representation of people of colour in mainstream media, in, in all arenas like fashion, politics, law, business, leadership. So the limited representation people did have influenced their perceptions. So people would see things like a poo in The Simpsons and kids would watch The Simpsons and then would come to school and say... Well, that's what an Indian person is. And they would also blanket that generalisation to people from within the whole South Asian diaspora. And then they would think, so does your dad work in a 7-Eleven? And does your family bob their heads when they talk? And does your mum wear the red dot? And they didn't understand the nuances within an entire group of people. And they blanketed generalisations because they had limited information to go off. So... That kind of racism and the microaggressions, making assumptions about what we ate, what we did, how we spoke, what we were about, it just came from a place of a lack of awareness and understanding and no one was having these conversations on, hang on, that's not actually what it is and this is a misrepresentation. But because I was a kid and I was growing up in this time where these conversations weren't happening, I didn't feel like I could speak up against it. I just internalised it and thought, I need to shed that part of myself in order to fit in. So wow. that was the context, you know, for me growing up. And it
0: was tough. It was really tough. And do you think it's more of a problem the fact that many Australians were totally um unaware that they that they what they were saying was actually a problem and it was hurtful. Um, I mean, I think that is more of a problem, the fact that they just had no idea that what what they were saying was was in the wrong context, I think. But, you know, and and many Australians wouldn't have the faintest idea what it's like to be a victim of racism. And I would love for you to explain so we can understand, you know, what does it actually feel like to be a victim of racism?
1: I mean, it's a feeling of being othered, right? And I think it feels different. It's felt different for me. I can only speak from my lived experiences. And I also want to say, depending on where you sit on the spectrum of racial experiences, as a South Asian woman, I acknowledge that, yes, I've experienced prejudice, but I've also experienced privilege in that I am on the, the... and unfortunately, this is how it is. But when you look at it, I'm, you know, lighter skinned. Um, so within that, there are so many dynamics, my skin tone. So for South Asian people, there's colorism within that group where people who have a lighter skin tone are treated more favorably than those with the darker skin tone. Interesting. We know that yep. and that's it. And, and, you know, people who are black or indigenous experience systemic racism far more intensely than people like. I do. So it's it's knowing that, okay, within a group of Black, Indigenous and people of colour, and there are a variety of lived and varied experiences, and people experience it disproportionately. So things like your actual race, skin tone, class, they all intersect. So it is quite uh, a heavy thing to get your head around. And I understand that it's loaded, but this has been the lived experience of so many people for so long that it's important that people are listening. So it feels like you are. So I was born and raised here. Mum and dad moved over from India, which was very unique because they struggled to adopt Western norms and traditions. And, you know, they they still dressed in Indian attire, eating Indian food every day, um, you know, watching Indian movies all the time. And that was different to what my friends at school were doing. So I felt like oh, my goodness, I'm not Australian enough to be Australian and I have to hide. I was ashamed of my family, everything we came from. But then I also didn't feel Indian enough to be Indian. And because of the racism, then I didn't want to be Indian anymore. I really, really wanted to be what I thought was Australian, which was Anglo-Celtic perceptions of that, right? So I grew up then starting to wear white makeup. I wore blue eye contacts. I bleached my hair. And it all happened gradually. And at the time, I just thought, I was becoming a young woman and oh I've just figured out this makeup works for me and now I've changed my hair but when I look back in hindsight you can it's so heartbreaking to see that internalized racism manifesting physically in that I was not recognizable and would look in the mirror and that was not me but that's what I thought I needed to be in order to just get by in society so it is it's you feel like a foreigner and it alien on your own soil in essence and those experiences were Mm -hmm. not limited to just childhood I think kids who don't grow up learning to be culturally sensitive and to learn to talk about race become adults who don't know how to be culturally sensitive and to talk about race and even now I have people who pass remarks where they don't realize that they are saying things that are microaggressions with the racist undercurrent for example, I, you know, recently spoke, I met a man, spoke to him and he had just point blank asked me if, um, you know, my parents expected me to marry a nice Indian doctor. Wow. And I just, you know, just, you know, questioned that and queried it and said, well, where does that come from? And why would you, you know, absolutely not. Why would you think that? And he said, no, oh, well, I've got a lot of Indian friends, so I know that that's what it's like. And I said, actually, this is why it's erroneous and you're blanketing a statement to an entire group of people. But he was adamant that based on his experience with a few of his friends he knew what he knew about an entire group of people so it's that sort of thing where when you with kids when they don't grow up learning how to have nuanced conversations and to talk about these things early it's a hard thing to teach later in life yes. so it's important <laughs> to start these conversations really early to not fear the conversation and also understand and therefore appreciate differences
0: yes it's 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 really fascinating just to hear how um racism does affect a child's confidence and and it's 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 great to see that there has been a shift in consciousness since your childhood experiences towards a wider public becoming a little bit more accepting do you, do you think that that is the case though do you think that that is the case now or not
1: i think that we are seeing a bit of a shift i think for example very recently i had the Privilege of being on the morning show on channel seven. Mm-hmm. And they asked me about some of my experiences with racism. And I had the opportunity to sit on broadcast TV and say, hey, this is what it is. And I think it's a lack of awareness and education. And I think this is what we can do to change that. Yes. And I thought back to my school years and when I'd get up in the morning and be going to school, flick on the TV, come home after school, go to my grandma's house, turn on the TV. And I saw. Australia represented to me in a way where only a certain portion of our beautiful multicultural society was being represented. Yes. And you turn on the TV as a kid, you read magazines, you watch and you observe, and when you're not seeing yourself represented and when you are feeling like, you know, there is a certain idea put forward to you about what you are meant to be, you start to self-reject and it manifests in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was, you know, I stopped speaking to my cousins from 14 to about 21. And I couldn't work out why as a kid. But when I reflected back as a young woman, I thought I was heartbroken that I thought that was part of me shedding South Asian identity because yes. I thought, no, I need
0: to embracing in. it. So
1: now to be able, like I said, to come back to it, to sit on the morning show and to be able to say this, I'm thinking of, I, I've got messages from parents who said, I watched that segment with my nine-year-old, with my 13-year-old who faces an X number of different kinds of adversity. She faces this, this, and this in school. But she said, watching you, she wants to be like you and she oh. wants to overcome her things like you had. And it's when I'm thinking of the little kids who they might not necessarily be South Asian, but it's just it's kids who feel like they've been told you need to be something else in order to be something. Yes. And you need to change who you are in order to fit in, to be Australian enough, to be this, to be that. And I want them to hear these messages and to see someone who was told those exact things and thought, I'm not going to let that keep me down. And I'm not going to let that define what it is to be Australian or good enough or a strong woman or any of these things. And the ability to do that and get in that space and have that conversation tells me that a shift is happening. I do think we have strides and and we have strides that we still need to make and a way to go. But I think that there is progress because these were not the conversations that I was hearing when I was a kid.
0: So do you think for the shift to take place even more so that these conversations need to start at home with the parents first?
1: I think they do. And I think the reason for that is when we think of our children and, and we think of their development, and I was actually doing some research for a piece where I'm talking about um, privilege and entitlement and Power imbalances between genders. And one of the main things um, that I started to hone in on a little bit, which was really fascinating to me, was how the nest where we raise our children, where you know they are first exposed to things like empathy, you know, love, security, openness, you know, that evolved nest, it shapes. And it really influences the trajectory of their life. So I think that if your child is being raised in a context where from a very early age, they know how important it is to put their hand up and ask questions when they don't know something and they are a little bit confused or they're a little bit fearful and they know actually it's safe for me to ask questions in a respectful way Mm -hmm. or... If your child potentially is experiencing something that's hard, but they know that I'm in a secure, stable environment where I can tell mum and dad or mum and mum or dad and dad or just mum or just dad or whatever your situation is, your child feels like they can talk to you about it. Early on, I think that is very, very influential um, in their development, in how they're going to relate to other people. You know, you need to socialise them with that stuff early because these biases around race and differences, they develop very early in your children from as young as four months. And, you know, when your child is, you know, starts to verbalize and vocalize, that's when you need to be having, you know, these conversations and role modeling for them, what you would hope, you know, they would start to exhibit in terms of behaviors and thoughts and actions and things like that.
0: Yes. Now on this topic, um, of course, mm. I'm really honoured that you've um, written an article for Kittypedia. and um, mm. so thank you so much for that. And so we've published that article and the title is How to Talk to Your Children About About Racism. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, could you please just give us a little bit of an indication on um, what it's about and, of course, you know, what inspired you to write it for our audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I was so honoured that you you asked me to give that input Um that article is basically giving some tips on how to start talking to your child about race early. And I was trying to come at it from a perspective of many different racial experiences. Um, so for people who, you know, it, it's a privilege, I'll start by saying it's a privilege to be able to choose whether conversations around racism are something you want to have with your children. There are many parents who don't have a choice, and they quite literally have to talk to their children about how to behave in the street so that they're not going to be targeted by law enforcement disproportionately. It's, it's about safety. It's about survival. So I tried to write this piece from varied perspectives on, I guess, Taking an objective step back and and research I've done over the years and things like that. Well, what sorts of things can we do to facilitate conversation in both ways? But I want to start by acknowledging that, firstly, I'm not a parent and a lot of my experiences are coming from one particular point in the spectrum. So, you know, make of this what you will. But understanding, so my background is in psychology and understanding, you know, child's development a little bit knowing that they start to develop racial biases quite early I just shared some tips on why I think it's really important to start talking to your children about race early and having age-appropriate conversations but then also talking about how to actively teach them to choose their words wisely and to role model that with practical examples because I think We need to acknowledge with children, they are genuinely curious and they're just going to blurt out whatever they want to blurt out and say what they want to say. And that's fine. That's children. they will be children. But when I think of, you know, my experiences, I know that there were times when maybe children said things in genuine curiosity, or it just came out impulsively, but the child on the receiving end, those comments can stay with you and you can carry it into, you know, for a very long time in your life. So I think what parents can start practicing, you know, at home to try and make our world a little bit more inclusive and make our children a little bit more sensitive earlier on is practice these conversations with your children where if they have an awkward conversation or they're genuinely curious about something, about somebody else who might be racially different, practice, oh, well, how would you phrase that question? How would you ask that question? What sort of things can you do to get information to make sure that you're not making somebody uncomfortable? Things like that. And then I spoke about the importance of role modeling as well, because your children are like sponges (laughs) and they're going to take everything in. So whether you are someone who is dealing with racism, someone who's experiencing it, or someone who's potentially trying to address your unconscious bias so that you aren't unwittingly being racist to someone else, I think showing your child how you handle these things is going to be really important because it's imprinting on their subconscious, well, what should I do? If I, you know, hear or experience something that makes me uncomfortable and, and I think honesty as well, and, you know, not fearing having the uncomfortable raw, reflective details laid out on the table, because I yep. think sometimes we think we need to protect kids, but I, I'm of the belief that, you know, they're intelligent and they're going to. Pick up things and learn, and start to form their ideas early on. So, in an age appropriate way, you may as well start talking to your children about the real reality of how racism manifests in society. Because if you don't, they're going to be forming their ideas on it based on exaggerated stereotypes they see in the media or something a child said in passing. Or, Absolutely, you know, it's it's you need to you want to be a part of shaping that. So, it's things like when your kids get older talk to them about how racism manifests and and, and impacts people disproportionately in society. Why is it that, for example, when I think of my childhood, I grew up in an area that was not necessarily the best socioeconomic area. And because of the concentration of certain ethnic minorities in that neighborhood, there were then perceptions about these people being rough, and therefore if these ethnicities were in this neighborhood it's something you want to stay away from because it means that the neighborhood is rough because of these people so you can then talk to your kids about well hang on there's a reason that there are certain minorities who are concentrated in certain areas and therefore we need to challenge these ideas that we have about people because of racist structures that have led to this the neighborhood context of racism or you know, disproportionate incarceration rates and how that makes us think about certain groups in society. Don't be afraid to talk to your kids about this. And if you're scared because you don't have all the answers, role model for your child that it's okay to say to them, you know what, I don't have the answers, but these are some things that I can do to get the answers. So it teaches them to be resourceful as well. I think the point I'm trying to drive home is just because you don't have all the answers, it doesn't mean that you should stay out of the conversation. If you're raising a child and if you're a participant in this this society, then you have a part to play and your voice matters. So role model for your child, what to do if you do have the answers, if you don't have the answers, and just how to be a good, kind human.
0: Yes. I just wanted to pick out just some of those points you just mentioned. Yeah. In the article, you start with mentioning parents should teach children how to use their words wisely with practical examples. So what is the right language to use um, and how should they encourage children to uh, to ask open questions in the right context, Um, you know, to ask other children from multicultural backgrounds? Could you maybe share some of that language with us now?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, one of the things that we hear very often, even now adults um, unconsciously ask this question if, you know, you want, you're curious about somebody's ethnic background, for example, I'll talk for yep. an, an example. If you're curious about somebody's ethnic background, sometimes people can unconsciously ask the question, well, where are you from? And this can be an issue when, so I get this all the time, where are you from? And I'll respond with Melvin, yeah. Melvin Australia. <laughs> and then the question is, well, where are you really from? And the issue with this language is it's, operating from an assumption that the person you are speaking to does not belong to the land in which you are you know on which you're occupying and it's negating the possibility that actually maybe they were born and raised here and when you unpack well why is that where would that assumption have come from without knowing somebody why would you assume whether they do or don't belong here and it comes down to that unconscious bias where you're viewing someone through a lens of race so Having that conversation with your child and saying, actually, a better way to ask this question of somebody without making an assumption and making them feel like they don't belong um, is asking them, what's your ethnic background? Or, you know, it's just, it's a simple change in language, but there's no assumption there as opposed to where are you from? Because that assumption is you are not from here.
0: Okay. so and you're not the- from
1: here because you don't fit that yeah, racial mold.
0: So other, the use of the right words and also the tone of your voice, the difference right between making someone feel foreign and exhibiting, I, I guess, just genuine curiosity, would you say? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's things like, um, you know, children, like I said, curious and they'll say what they want to say, um, but it, it is being conscious of how you're speaking to someone. And, and I think with one thing that I'm trying to do with my language, in general, when I'm interviewing people um, or speaking to other people and just trying to get a sense of somebody else, asking, you know, open-ended questions and gives people the opportunity to give you as much information about themselves as they can without assuming anything. Yes. I think that's the a assumption, really important skill. That's yeah. it. And it's, you know, if you want to, for example, Um, ask a question about somebody's food because we grew up getting asked, do you eat curry every day? And Mm -hmm. that's a a yes or no question. And it's a loaded question with an assumption. But if your child is genuinely curious about somebody else's race, their culture, their, their food, it's a beautiful thing to be curious about differences. So teach them to ask, I'm curious about what you like to eat at home. That alone, it's showing a genuine interest in another person Without telling them that, actually, I have pre-existing ideas about you. And I think that sort of thing takes practice because we see adults struggling with this concept. So kids are not always going to get it right. But if you're practicing this with your children at home often, or you hear them ask a question and say, hang on, you know, sweetie, like, why don't we give that another go? What is another way you can ask that that might not? How do you think that might make someone feel? What's another way you can do it that might make someone feel better? Practice, be patient with your child, but don't be scared to do it because if you show fear and you won't address that, you know, conversation at home, how are they going to feel confident to do that in school, in their extracurricular activities and in their interactions? I think you need to show them it's okay to try again and and apologize if you get it wrong as well.
0: It's a great opportunity to teach children empathy. I think, um, yeah. the conversation about race and ethnic backgrounds. Do you think children understand tone at all? As a, a personal question, tone in the
1: voice? I think when I think of my my experiences, yeah. um, I know how things made me feel. And whether, you know, and sometimes people will say, I don't know why that interaction felt funny, but I just felt off. Something about it felt off. I think children can tune into, they can read situations very quickly. And they're very good at sort of reading whether somebody might, you know, when when they're uncomfortable around somebody or they're uncomfortable in a situation, they might not be able to verbalize to you and say, their tone of voice made me uncomfortable. But having your child be conscious of tone matters because the, the children that they're interacting with, they might not know that it's the tone that upsets them, but it's a contributing factor to a child just not feeling right. right and yes. I think of experiences that I've had where kids have said things and the tone has been, it's come across a little bit unkind or nasty or assuming. And for that reason, I felt awful. And I think if the question had been delivered in a different way, maybe I wouldn't have felt uncomfortable. But I think absolutely tone in communication is such an important thing to get right and you know, beyond the context of race, that's something you should be honing with your child anyway, to help them be an effective communicator. Yes. So being conscious of tone and thinking, how can I use my voice in a way that doesn't make someone feel uncomfortable? I think that's an important skill to have.
0: Yes, a very important life skill. Now, next, you mentioned to expose your child to different cultural aspects. Can you expand and give us some examples? I mean, do you think it's important for parents you know, to provide children exposure through different co-curricular activities and cross-race even friendships to help like decrease some, some like, prejudice overall.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if your child potentially doesn't go to a very diverse school or the social circles that maybe you mix in or your family doesn't afford that kind of cultural diversity, I think it's really important in the increasingly globalized rich diverse multicultural world we're living in it's really important that your child has interactions with people from different ethnic backgrounds and and you know they get to see and experience that diversity because if they don't the way they experience it is through media it's through you know what they see on on tv and magazines and movies percent. And we know that in media, in mainstream media and in in those spheres, there is an issue with, one, a lack of representation but also misrepresentation of different groups, exaggerated stereotypes that serve to uphold these racist ideas. And, you know, your kids will be watching that and taking it in. So it's really important to firstly question those and debrief with your kids if you watch a movie and you see these stereotypes, but also enrol them in sporting you know arts or or anything that gives them the chance to be around different kids with different lived experiences and i think that's important because you know there is research that tells us that those kind of cross group interactions it actually reduces fear and prejudice um in diverse settings if your kids have the ability to build you know interracial friendships and things
0: like that just so from their own very, own opinions too which yeah, is important.
1: that's it and and i think you know forming your own opinions that irrespective of what you're talking about is so important and something that I think a lot of people do struggle with. Often we we think we need to inherit indoctrinated beliefs or what the majority thinks or even in, in social settings where you meet someone and maybe a friend might say, I don't like that person, and then you think, well, oh, my friends told me this, and automatically they mustn't be a nice person. The ability to form your own opinion and say, I can separate myself from what this person, this group thinks, this is what the idea is, let me experience it for myself, filter it, process, and make my mind up for myself. Yes. That's a really important skill beyond just this
0: conversation as well. So totally um, agree. You should
1: expose your child where possible.
0: Yeah. And how old do you think children should be to to start these conversations and to even just open a conversation about racism in society in general?
1: I think it will firstly the conversation needs to be age appropriate um we know that for example like I said children form racial biases from four months old and they start to show that bias that implicit bias at six months but you're obviously not going to sit there with a six-month-old and say let me talk to you <laughs> about systemic racism because <laughs> they're gonna be like what? feed me and it's not even gonna be you know like legible like audible English it's like or like language I think um you need to have age-appropriate conversations but I think you know from the start start showing an appreciation for differences a curiosity about differences and a willingness to question yourself you know I, I think and remember I'm not a parent but I think I often think you know well and again Parents might watch this and say, Oh, darling, it's easy to think and and plan, and it's different when you have your kids, and that's okay. And it probably will be. But something that I'm conscious of is when I do have babies, um, right from the start, I want to read them books that have those messages, even if they're delivered in a really simple, simple way, whether we're talking about shapes or colors, or if the book is on whatever, because, you know, children, they're. They're stimulated by very simple things early on and then it grows in complexity and then you can start having more sophisticated conversations. But from early on, even if I'm showing them a book about shapes, I want somehow there to be a message about appreciating differences, appreciating all shapes, appreciate that there are different ways of being and it's okay. And then setting the tone and getting those messages in really, really early. So, as they do start to expose, they do start to absorb the conditioning in society that will inevitably happen because we do live in a society that conditions us to be uh, unwittingly racist. And again, it's about the systems, right? It's not about people being overtly hateful. So when your kid starts to be exposed to that and absorbs that, at least it's being countered with messages from parents and guardians who are telling them, question that, think a little differently. Does this fit in with an appreciation for differences so that as they get older, their mind is primed to have conversations about race in growing sophistication Um, so it's not such a jarring shock where all their life they've been wrapped in bubble wrap and then at 13 it's like, I better start having these conversations and they're shocked and it's like, this: what, this is happening in the world? You know, prime them early on, early on. And it's a privilege to not have to do that. Remember that there are parents who are, talking to their children about this from infancy so uh, i think we should all be having this conversation early on
0: and i think books as you just mentioned are a wonderful way to for parents to to open this conversation um and aside from books is there anything else that parents should do if they don't feel equipped to have race related conversations with their children
1: Yeah, I think, you know, if you don't feel equipped to have race-related conversations with your children, there are so many um, resources for anti-racism education out there. And I think a really good thing to role model to your children is showing them how when you don't have the answers, you can say, I don't have the answers, but for conversations on race, this is led by Black, Indigenous and coloured people, and I'm going to seek out resources, books, documentaries, movies that explain this in a good way. Watch and consume that with your children and role model being resourceful because very often it's just not enough to say I don't have the answers so I'm going to stay out of it. You want to show your child that even if you feel like you're scared because you don't have everything you need to be an agent of change in this space, You show them that actually there are things you can do and this is what you do. So I think books, documentaries, consuming anti-racism resources from people who have lived these experiences, these are all things that you can do.
0: And and speaking about empathy and just revisiting that, I think it's really important for um, us to understand what the consequences are on the victims of racism and and as we've discussed a lot of your experiences with racism happened during your childhood but how do you think negative experiences affect children in the long term uh yeah, yeah i'll be really interested to know and yeah. understand that
1: well and I, I think the best way to answer that just to really drive home just how nuanced it is i can speak from my lived experiences and from what i observe but racism impacts children so so differently and one thing i really hope parents can can listen and understand is that there are many intersecting factors so there is race that in itself determines how severely somebody experiences racism like i said black and indigenous people experience it so disproportionately and so much more intensely but then there are also intersecting factors of class of sexuality of gender identity of physical ability so talking to your child about the fact that if there is a kid in your class is experiencing racism it's not just the race factor alone that makes it difficult for them to exist authentically and freely and safely in society but what other factors are there that you should be aware of that might make it so much harder for them because we know that for example um you know, black transgender or, you know, non-binary folk, they are more marginalized and vulnerable than someone like me, a cisgendered, you know, South Asian woman. There are nuances to this. So the experiences of, you know, racism, it's varied and I can't speak for all of them. And that's the point. It's that, there isn't just one voice for the experience of racism. You need to be talking to as many people as you can and seeing representation of as many people as you can because we all experience it differently. And for some people, the experience of racism, like, you know, with me, it caused me to self-reject for a really long time and and really internalise a lot of that trauma. And I struggled with it in my 20s and had to do a lot of work on myself to be able to get to this point where I feel like I can educate and hopefully lead with love. Um, For some people, the experience of racism means that their child doesn't come home when walking home from school. And I know that's really confronting and it makes me emotional talking about it, but that's the reality of it. And I think, you know, for a parent, like think about what that's like, you know, you send your kid off to school and they might not come back. And that's, and that's not even my lived experience. That's what so many black and indigenous parents worry about and it's something that we can't even comprehend so when we're thinking of what are the consequences of racism it can be something as simple as well my child came home from school crying today or my child didn't come home from school at all so it's so upsetting to think about an emotional and I'm so sorry for getting emotional but no no um, no no, no. this is the reality you know and and And, that's it And, and that's what I want people to understand it's It's varied and it's nuanced and this is why even if you aren't directly impacted, you should be impacted because this is a human issue.
0: But do you think, and this is something that you mentioned at the the start of the conversation, do you think a lot of what children do say in those circumstances, walking home, in the schoolyard um, or anything like that, Can be unintentional, or do you think that this is a learned behavioral trait from their parents and social circle? Going back to what we were saying before, I mean, this conversation's got to start at home with the parents. Mm. What are your thoughts?
1: You mean expressions of racism or like racist comments? Do you are you asking me if I think that it is something that they do unintentionally, or if it's something that they? potentially been conditioned to exhibit. Is right. that what you're asking? Right. I think it's a mix of both. It's sometimes children say things and it is un, unintentionally racist because this is a society they've grown up in. They've been re- they've been getting these messages about stereotypes that have fueled certain beliefs, um, these systems and
0: you know the, the system a flyaway comment yeah. from a parent. Something well, well, on TV or... Not even
1: not even just a flyaway comment from parents. Like you know, your child grows up watching TV and things like that that reinforce these ideas, but Yes, absolutely. There's also then parents who unconsciously say things, and it might be a flyaway comment, but that can contribute to your child building an entire ideology about a group of people. 100%. Um, there were, I can say that there are people um, within the South Asian community um, that I grew up around that would make, you know, comments about people of other religions. And I remember at the time, you know, as a child thinking, Are people of, you know, a certain religion um, to be feared for this reason? Yeah. And then I grew up absorbing images and, and messaging in mainstream media as well that reinforced it. So there's this fear. But I had friends who belonged to different religions and I knew people on a personal level and I was like, hang on, these individual differences that I'm experiencing and these people, these humans, they're humans that I'm experiencing, that I love, that I know, they don't match up to what I'm being told, you know, by media, by people around me, by, you know, family, friends or whatever it is. So I was able to challenge that. Sometimes children don't know they can challenge that. So if you make flyaway comments and things like that, you could potentially be saying something that gets imprinted on your child and they build a whole ideology about, you know, an entire group of people as a result. So that kind of consciousness, it is so important. It's so, so important to be working on yourself so that you can role model that for your child. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, how have your experiences helped shape who you are today, what you're doing?
1: It, I wouldn't change a single thing. Um, I think a lot of the work that I do around inclusivity um, and equality and empowerment, it's, it's beyond just, um, you know, racial inclusivity, but it's talking about, you know, my experience as a, intersectionally, as a woman, as a woman of color, as somebody who hasn't fit certain molds to take up space in the arenas I'm taking up space in, um breaking boxes of what like a conventional career looks like. it's it's all of these things where I grew up and and the racial experiences too, it all served to tell me who I am and where I fit in the world and keep you small. You're not enough of this. You're not enough of that. You can't do this because you don't fit this idea of what that should look like. And I disagreed. And I'm so glad I listened to that internal voice. And I had parents who were telling me, my dad always told me, he would say, Maria, irrespective of what you do, you make sure that the work you do leaves a footprint and you're making this world better for the people who come through than when you came into it. And that has been a guiding compass. It has made everything that I want to do rooted in service. And it's, okay, things are going to happen because this is a world that we live in and it's not perfect. It will never be perfect. But how can you use these hardships and these painful experiences as a catalyst for education, more compassion, for more love, for more healing? So things can go wrong, but I think you can use it as an opportunity to serve and to create and to do something that's in service of other people. So these experiences fuel that. And I'll never forget how I felt when I was a little kid. And, you know, these words were, you know, people would say things and and make me feel a certain way. And I know how it felt to come home and, and just cry. Yes. I think of that so often. And I went back to my high school yesterday, actually, to talk to the principal about how I can now meaningfully engage with the girls moving forward. And I just thought of it's almost like you imagine it as, an out of body experience where I thought of myself at 12 years old. And back. I think of that little girl and I think of her as a girl outside myself and how much I wish I could hug her and be there for her and make things better for her. And that yeah. is my guiding compass and the drive behind what I do. So, in short, it is my motivator. Yes. It's my motivator.
0: And just tell us a little bit more about Mine with Me um, and about your podcast.
1: Yes. So mind with me, It was, it's the most fulfilling thing I do. Last year in lockdown, I was impromptu having conversations on live about things that were going on in the world, about racism, about my views on things. It was just, they would just happen. But I noticed around the time that a lot of these important social movements were gaining momentum, social media felt like a very tense place to be because of the lockdowns, everybody was on social media. People were very emotional and stressed and, and not okay so the conversations were happening in a tough context anyway but yeah. they felt polarizing and they felt like there was a bit of division and segregation so I yeah. created Mind of Me and decided to have these weekly lives one hour a week where I would house a space to talk about these difficult things but to do it in a way where it was okay for people to say this is what I know and I think I need to unlearn something or yes. I don't think I, love I have that, all the, the unlearning answers. Something. Well, to, I think to learn, you need to be able to unlearn. It's such an integral part of it. But I think our ego gets in the way and we think, well, I've learned something. I can't let go of that because it means that I haven't learned it. But yes. On the contrary, a very important part to learning is unlearning things that you know in order to evolve your views involve your evolve your perceptions. So Absolutely. Mind With Me was exactly that. And you know, 32 episodes in and we've talked about everything from racism to mental health to sexism to the issues, you know, associated with living through a global pandemic, bullying. We talked about everything. And now it's being produced into a podcast. And beyond that, I have a huge vision for what it's going to be and The space it's going to be and what it will do to drive tangible change. So I'm excited about it. But ultimately it's just this beautiful community that's committed to progress and inclusivity and appreciation for differences and creating safe spaces to do that Yes. because that's really important.
0: Well, look, overall it's been an absolute joy talking with you today. If you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening today, what would they be?
1: I think my key message for anyone watching and listening, beyond Mm -hmm. the realm of parenting and beyond talking to your child about race and and things like that, I think I just want to drive home how important it is to not have fear when it comes to doing anything and especially in this context when it comes to, okay, I know I want to change something, I know I need to do something better, but I'm scared because maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I'm not the right person to do it. Maybe I'm not... Um, well-equipped to do it, don't be afraid to use your voice because your voice, it matters. And where you sit on a spectrum of experiences, no matter what the context is, you have something to offer and the capacity to make an imprint here. And I think, uh, you know, that fear, if we allow it to take hold, we're not able to understand differences and therefore appreciate and celebrate differences and then create a world that's actually safer for people to live freely and authentically so my message is don't have fear and do what it takes to facilitate your own understanding and appreciation for differences so that you can impart it to the people around you.
0: Yes, very, very powerful messages and, look, you're an incredible woman on all levels and I have every confidence you're going to make Australia very, very proud um so thank we're you. right behind you. Um thank all the very you. best of luck but something in me doesn't think that you're going to need the luck. Um <laughs> me already a winner. So um I thank would love you. to continue supporting your work and your messages beyond the pageant um and thank so you. would love to continue this conversation um way beyond sort of uh, sort of this year and beyond. So um thank you so for your time. I would love that. It's thank been- you. Thank just- you wonderful and as an advocate for change and um expanding consciousness everywhere um sort of support you in all your work so thank you for your time and uh as as I just say good luck but I don't think you're going to need it but we'll definitely be supporting you I mean just as a quick question would the pageant be taking um, place um sort of uh, virtually or do you have to travel overseas or what's happening with
1: that actually we've actually just got word that we've got the go-ahead to do it in person. So it's going to be in America. It's going to be in America in May. So I'm going to be packing my bags very soon and heading over, and I don't know how I'm going to get there. (laughs) I might have to quarantine. (laughs) I'm probably going to be gone for about eight weeks in total because I'll have to go a few weeks in the lead-up. I'll probably be stuck for a little while. So I'm about to go on an adventure in America very soon. But I hope, like you said, I make Australia proud. Oh, you will. I just I hope it's life changing for not me but the people I'm trying to impact. So, and I think is hoping.
0: Yeah, look, there's no hoping, it, and it's, it's as we were just saying, this is this is going to happen, and uh, you have such an opportunity to make such change uh, for the short, middle, and long term. So, right behind you, and um, yes, we'll be sort of, as I said, sort of watching afar. But all the best of luck with your travels. Stay safe, and um, let's chat again soon. But thank you so much for your time today, Maria. It's just been an absolute joy. What,
1: Thank love. you, Rachel. The pleasure
0: was mine and we will chat again soon. Thank awesome. you. Right, bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kiddypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kiddypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.